Oh, hi, Simon. Are you coming to record the podcast with us? Hello, Simon. You can't nuzzle the microphone. I'm sorry. Uh, I have some evidence to the contrary here, Chris. Well, he's not allowed to nuzzle the microphone. <laughs> when you since when not. can you tell a cat what to do? Well, I'm gonna lift him up. Yeah, that's what you can do. You can't stop him, but you can just move him, him away. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the only recourse you have for this cat. Yeah, I'm doing the best I can here. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 213 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, with me is Lee McLeod. Hey Lee! Hi Chris, when you introduce yourself as I'm Chris Castor-Apple, I always want to jump in and be like, and I'm Lee McLeod. <laughs> we could start doing it that way, no, that's, I just, that's no problem. I don't, I don't want to have that burden of introducing myself with such vigor every time, <laughs> but it just, it wells up inside of me at that exact moment and no other time. Well, what, what will you do if I just pause after I'm Chris Castor-Apple? Probably panic and say it, that that's what will yeah. happen. Well, guess what's happening in episode 214 then? Nothing, because you'll forget out of sheer muscle memory. Yeah, that's really likely. I've done this intro a lot now, <laughs> so. So, standard rotation happened. Thank that's God. That's kind of crazy. That hasn't happened in a long-ass time. It's only been a year, which is the same amount of time as every rotation, but usually mm -hmm. there is some churn in the year. Uh, right. And, you know, this year there just wasn't any. We just played Throne of Eldraine cards uh, the entire time. Yeah, there were multiple set releases that basically just didn't change standard at all. So <laughs> it it feels like we've just been playing the same standard for about two years at this point. The block structure or lack thereof also hurts a lot because I, I really like blocks as like a, or a thematic year because you can mm -hmm. build on that throughout the whole year. And just by the way magic works, the more cards you have for a theme the stronger that theme is. And yeah. when you only have like one set of themes here and there, whichever just is the strongest set just ends up being the best throughout its entire rotation history, which is what yeah. we see with Throne. Yeah. Right. The adventure theme was stronger than any other particular package. And then you just don't get to run other stuff with it. And so there you go. Like when Onslaught. Maybe you can run Showdown with it. When Onslaught and Mirrodin, which is like the a, a really bad standard here, because Onslaught was mm -hmm. all creatures and tribal themes and mirrodin was all artifacts so the standard was really mirrodin versus onslaught decks mirrodin decks mm -hmm. versus onslaught decks until you know skull clamp was printed but <laughs> it gave you some illusion that you know you didn't have to play mirrodin cards if you didn't want to you could just still do the odyssey or the onslaught stuff yeah, uh with this got a chroma's vengeance with this rotation no uh no chance of that what's competing with ronaville drink cards I guess the ones from Macoria or something, maybe? Well, yeah, certainly companions were pretty good, but you could play those with some Eldraine cards most of the time. Just a long-winded way to say that super glad rotation's here and that we're actually having some continuity this year with the two Innistrad sets. And yeah, probably I, I do appreciate that. <laughs> well, we'll see. 
I don't know. There's probably not a lot of mechanical identity between the Brothers War and the Dominaria set, so... Or Kamigawa and the Wedge set. Or the, yeah. the Shard set. Yeah, good luck <laughs> with that one. True. But for now, we do just get to talk about Innistrad Midnight Hunt and its impact on Standard and the impact of rotation on Standard. Uh, I've mostly, to be quite honest, I've mostly been playing Limited so far because I... Actually, I'm enjoying this limited format quite a bit. It's there are some good. problems with it, but it is pretty good. I The decay animation is one of the problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the fact that it triggers for each thing that dies in a combat. Yeah, it's it's horrible. Yep. But overall, that's the weird thing about Twitch, is that when I'm looking through standard streams, because things just rotated and I want to watch standard, mm-hmm. just can't find them. It's got all limited or historic. Kind of bizarre. And I mean... It's not unpopular. Like the Hoagland tournament happened and had like like fourteen or seventeen k viewers at a bunch of times. Like each time one of the people who does stream standard is up, Crokies is getting a ton of views, and Hoagland playing standard is getting a ton of views. So I wish people would play standard because I, you know, would like to watch it more. But I've been watching a fair bit and keeping an eye on the few sources we have for deck lists we did at least have a couple of tournaments this weekend oh can i rant about how bad arena is specifically in deck lists like when magic online was the only magic program it was you know magic online's never been great but the data that it gave was good because wizards posts event deck lists and Mm -hmm. daily deck lists and whatever all that stuff and so you just have a bunch of raw data which you can then use for whatever with arena (laughs) There's none of that. Like, yeah, theoretically, or actually, Wizards does post the the ladder decks from Platinum Plus with X number of wins with zero unchanged cards between them. A lot of weird rules there, but they're I all garbage. They're even complete those, yeah. nonsense. They don't matter at all. Yeah. <laughs> no, not interested in that. Right, and just deck lists don't come out of Arena. All you get are like tweets basically yeah, that, that is the main source of my standard deck list is looking through fire shoes twitter or the mm-hmm. arena deck lists twitter account being like all right i hope people tweeted out some sweet standard decks and half of it is just like people complaining about a seeker right right which i am seeker is obviously very good but like <clears throat> adapt like come on <laughs> it's a four mana spell we can't be calling for bands when the set is not even on paper yet like this isn't all nash let's be it's, real no it is absolutely not before we get too into standard i do want to just chat about limited for a minute because that is mostly what i've been playing and sure have been enjoying it i have seen some like criticism of it in that like blue black is the best deck like head and shoulders above the rest but i don't think that's actually a problem for a draft format because draft is self-correcting and the past several drafts that i've done i just haven't seen like a single playable black card in any pack so you can't just force blue black if nobody passes you a single black card so i think it's fine the hard part of talking about limited with me is that i can recognize card art but card names are just gonna escape me so i have to describe (laughs) cards as like the four mana card that mills the thing (laughs) yeah that's fair or the the farmer that grows bugs or whatever the three mana two three that gets a land back eccentric farmer yeah yeah it's got a giant centipede in the art yeah the card's good i like that card i appreciate 
decks that I have that make use of it. Although I do think blue-green is slightly a trap, but maybe I'm building it kind of wrong. The card that is absolutely a trap, though, is Ominous Roost. That card is really unplayable. When, when I read that the tokens could block, it was kind of a... Yeah. yeah. I had to try it, but, you know, it's so much worse than, like, the Zendikar build-around enchantment that makes token flyers, because that just, like makes two twos that can block when you play kicker spells and this one just like makes really useless tokens that don't really do anything it's like pretending so. to be in the same vein of burning vengeance but it's not good at any of the things burning vengeance was no so if you take one thing away just don't just like ominous ominous roost just doesn't have text it's just not a playable magic card in this format or probably any limited format it just doesn't do anything but i i appreciate it I think there's like a lot of depth to the format and a lot of places to explore. And I keep finding like little mini archetypes of things that like don't come together all that often, but you can do them. There's like the shipwreck sifters deck. So even if you don't get like one of the archetypical blue decks together, if you just like keep getting past shipwreck sifters, and this is one in a blue for a one, two spirit when it enters the battlefield, draw a card, then discard a card. Whenever you discard a spirit card or a card with Disturb, put a plus one, plus one counter on Shipwreck Sifters. So it's like kind of a medium card, has some synergies. But once you have like five or six of this card in your deck, then it just becomes really, really good. Yeah, itself is a spirit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so then you can use them to pump each other. Like first one comes down as a 2-3, the second one comes down is a 2-3, it makes the other one a 3-4. And so like there's a bunch of like little mini archetype puzzles that you can solve in this format and uh, a lot of the games have been i've had a lot of games come down to decking either way which to me is the sign of a format that i'm going to spend a lot of time with well i think inner strut sets are usually pretty good about that because you want to mm -hmm. fill up your graveyard a bunch there's a lot of cards that mill you yeah and that leads to a bunch of natural i'm kind of running out of cards here <laughs> Right, right. But you have all these options all game long because you were putting stuff into your graveyard that's useful. And if you mil if you deck yourself, you probably screwed up somewhere. Uh, so I, I, I've i been having a lot of fun with it. I think it's a pretty good format. It's it's the way more fun of version of filling your graveyard than like the Odyssey version of, I guess I'll discard my hand now. I have lands <laughs> I'm allowed to sacrifice. Yeah. <laughs> yes. What's your favorite thing to draft so far? Do you have a favorite thing to draft? Uh, I keep ending up in blue-green when I really want to end up in, like, blue-not-green. Sure. <laughs> but it just keeps happening. And, like, you know, I went into a draft and I was like, just not blue-green this time. I'm not going to draft blue-green. And then I ended up with a bunch of good blue cards after pack one. And then pack two, pick two, I got past a Tovalar's Huntmaster. So, <laughs> you know, I don't know what I'm supposed to do there. But I, I think, like, blue-black is both very good and really fun to play just a lot of sacrificing i think my favorite thing is if i can get a couple of the black white uncommon that's like white black sacrifice a non-land permanent exile a non-land permanent and oh, has flashback yeah, yeah, yeah. of two a black and a white and you just feel so safe whenever you draw one of those cards because you can answer anything twice right and, you know yeah really really good with decayed stuff because there's a lot of cards in the set that just make decayed zombies are kind of for free like it doesn't really cost yeah. any mana and, and it works really well with the cheap disturb guys too so you always have food for it and it's just so strong yeah the biggest signal to me that disturb was going to be really cheap is that 
blue card that's minus two minus oh draw card make a two two mm-hmm. it's just like oh okay it's a lot of stuff yeah it's like borderline playable without making the disturbed zombie on it yeah <laughs> or, or the the decayed zombie on it uh so yes uh they're not expensive but especially if you can amass a bunch of them like they become really good like one like almost the best black common is the five mana three four that makes two zombies also because it exiles two cards from their graveyard which is uh a nice touch i mean that one is a little bit over the top getting two cards is like a huge bummer sometimes and it's just been like a a a just a a sigh when they cast that card because it just like ruins your game plan for the rest of the game and puts seven power into play um but it is nice that they've put like little bits of incidental graveyard hate here and there on other playable cards so you actually can interact with your opponent's graveyard is there more because i know that card what is it diagraph horde is is pretty Mm -hmm. gross but is there actual more incidental graveyard hate at lower there's a few there's the three four flyer for five that exiles a card from a graveyard. Okay. Um, there's also jack o' lantern, but that is kind of barely playable. <laughs> right, and I know there's the green card, which I've mostly seen just used to stop yourself from decking. Turn the earth, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe a little more would, be, but it, it does feel, especially like God, the two cards on that zombie. <laughs> it's just a lot. Like I've had two flashback or disturb cards uh, exiled so many times, and it's backbreaking. I was I was counting on those kind of the one thing that i am noticing is that there are a few too many rares that should be mythics and one or two like mythics that you shouldn't be allowed to open in booster draft like the hunt master being a rare yeah hunt master is a rare the white black legendary like liessa the the bane slayer angel thing that's a rare for some reason and meat hook massacre is just completely unbeatable well isn't that one a mythic though yes but it's just like shouldn't be <laughs> like you it should be like a box topper or something like you shouldn't be allowed to put it into draft decks it's just banned in draft there's like literally no way to interact with it or make it not beat you except unless you're winning by so much. like the hugest margin possible like including extra cards in your hand and stuff like it, it's just not a beatable magic card so it's it's a really weird one and limited <laughs> yeah that's fair at least it doesn't come up super often though i guess yeah. if it wins every game it gets cast then that's not too much of a sol- solace <laughs> <laughs> but at, at least that one is not a rare the grave titan at rare and almost bane and kind of like better baneslayer angel for limited at rare is uh not ideal but you know i guess no format is perfect i guess but yeah i don't have a, a ton of thoughts on limited i am enjoying it and would encourage people to have a little bit of fun with it while you can yeah i am I, I don't have Arena on my computer right now, but I was planning on uh, downloading it again and playing some Limited, probably mm-hmm. on my roommate Kenny's account, so that I could give him <laughs> cards to play with, as opposed to just Instead of ones that you will them. never use. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Well, shall we talk about Standard then? Yes, let's do it. Cool. So we actually had some tournaments this, pack, this past weekend. We had Jeff Hoagland's Open... And then we had the Saturday and Sunday challenges and then combine that with watching streams and paying attention and stuff. And there's actually quite a bit to talk about. I mean, obviously it's a whole new format, but there is a fair amount of variety, even given how powerful we know 
Asika's chariot and Ren and Seven are together. There's there's a lot of stuff going on. Yep, that that's what you see a lot of people playing are green decks, like of all varieties, because of mm-hmm. that like Kasika's chariot into Ren Seven curve is so e- easy to get out there. It, it's maybe not the best thing possible you can do, but it's not by any means the worst. <laughs> and there are kind of two categories of green decks. You can have smaller green decks that don't go up to Ren and Seven. But they generally all are playing Asika's Chariot. So even if you don't go up to five, but even some of the pretty aggressive ones, like here is, quote, Gruel Werewolves, the fourth place deck in the Sunday challenge. And this just has four Ren and Seven, four Asika's Chariot in it. It's only kind of like technically a Werewolves deck because it has Kessig Naturalist and Werewolf Pack Leader in it. Oh, I, I like Kessig Naturalist a lot, though. Like, the way that deck yeah. plays out, having Kessig Naturalist on two being a mana dork. Mana dork is actually just pretty good when your forge is so impactful. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why people are playing the blue-green uncommon mana dork that, like, makes a mana, and then it taps for two mana for only flashback spells. I cannot remember what that card's called. It's the blue-green uncommon. But I've seen that in a surprising amount of deck lists. Oh, Rot Coil Creeper. Yes, Rot Coil Creeper. I've seen that in... A surprising number of decks just because mana dorks are good yeah uh i and and that is a big so you get to kind of make a decision when you're making a green deck are you going to be aggressive and play sort of the werewolves package and be attacking starting on turn three or so or are you going to be ramping your mana and playing like a prosperous innkeeper sort of package which i've seen a lot of magda just, these... just bear sentinel yeah, yeah, and just ways to make mana and kind of guarantee, like, hey, maybe we can get this Chariot out a turn early, maybe we can get this Ren and Seven out a turn early and ride those to victory, and I'm not sure which way is going to be better. Long term, I think I'd rather be the attacking deck than the deck that's going all in on the fours and fives, because people are going to start main decking Disdainful Strokes, like, yesterday. And you want to be the deck that, like, crushes people when they have two Disdainful Strokes in their hand, not the one that loses when they have two Disdainful Strokes in their hand. Yeah, and the Wolves are really good at that. Pass turn, counter your 4-drop, flip my Wolves, put in a Reckless Storm Seeker on the flip side. Yeah, that particular... Yeah, you killed one of my Werewolves, but we started the day-night cycle, so if you ever pass the turn at this point, it's night, and a bunch of creatures in my deck are so big now. That's yep. pretty wild. It also makes them use their mana very awkwardly if they want to keep it daytime. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes it's often correct to just go to your turn, even when you have mana open on their turn, just so you can cast yeah. a spell to keep it day <laughs> to like kill their werewolf. It, I, I didn't really foresee exactly how that would work, but the fact that you know that cycle goes on even without werewolves in play is, is it is really awkward for the reactive decks that said i think there is space for reactive decks in this format but you have to be pretty targeted to what you are addressing in particular sweepers are really really bad right now like i'm not interested in casting doom scars or other generic wrath effects i've seen like Meat Hook Massacre be okay because it can be like a small sweeper that gains you some life and it, it just, you know, has some flexibility. But generally, like when you cast a sweeper, 
they're gonna have a chariot or a red and six or a ranger class in play still after your sweeper and probably beat you with it so i have not been impressed with decks casting lots of sweepers also lots of haste creatures in this format too yeah lots storm seeker being a one of the better red cards people are playing right now it's just mm-hmm. a kind of a recipe disaster to sweep and then it be nighttime still because you're yeah. just taking five <laughs> every <Yep>. time <laughs> yeah and goldspan dragon does still exist although in the green red decks i think it's largely gotten pushed out by ren and seven and in the format generally ren and seven put some pressure onto it but blue red decks are still going to want goldspan dragon generally yeah, especially if you're an all runs epiphany deck. Those are the blue decks that I've liked the most. They they play all runs epiphany as kind of like a mid range. I've seen a bunch of bant decks recently mm-hmm. that play that uh rock coil creeper. Yeah, just trying to like rock coil creeper into mid range cards with maybe ran and seven or Seekers chariot, and mm-hmm. then just like top end at uh, all runs epiphany. Yeah, to just win the game in a single turn cycle, I guess. Uh, I've also seen like. All runs Epiphany, Smoldering Egg, because Smoldering Egg's really good with Epiphany and really good with Memory Deluge. Mm-hmm. Uh, not too many, not too much of that in these tournaments that I've seen, but I know it's a deck people are playing with because the dragon is is pretty nice. Yeah, and I, I think Egg is pretty defensible right now. I think it's a pretty good card because I think like a really big key here that those decks, what those decks are doing is... You can't just be a purely reactive deck in this format. You can't not have a board. You like the format requires kind of everybody to play to the board to a certain extent. A lot of that is Ren and Seven in particular, because you really, really want to have access to the sequence of okay, they played their Ren and Seven and made a tree folk. As long as I can kill this tree folk, then I get to attack and kill their Ren and Seven. And if you're not putting stuff on the board, then that's not available to you. Also, Asika's Chariot is a card that maybe you can deal with maybe you have a kill spell for it but it leaves wolves behind so if you're just playing a purely or at least cats behind (laughs) it's actually relevant for tovalar that they are not wolves yeah but it it leaves tutus behind and if you're on board with any playable magic cards those tutus aren't a big deal you can probably just like they can't really attack there's a decent amount of board stalls going on in this format but if you are not playing to the board at all then you're just going to keep taking four a turn from the thing you killed so playing to the board is really important there's just a lot of reasons that i'm not interested in a counter spell sweeper deck like i want a deck that's like putting dragons of some sort into play sidebar on Zika's chariot i've actually quite liked Briarbridge tracker in the just bear sentinel magda Zika's chariot decks mm-hmm. because the decks just play a lot of mana creatures right so Briar Bridge just replacing itself naturally and having that clue to make copies of with Zika's Cherry to draw into just more cardboard has been really yeah. good that I've seen for like grindy, grindier matchups. Yeah, yeah. And so that is kind of the... So there's like a spectrum of these green decks. There's like very aggressive ones that only go up to a Zika's Chariot. There's ones that have like attacking creatures, but then have both a Seekers Chariot and Ren and Seven. And then you can get a little more mid-rangey with mana guys, and then you can go really, really big. And so there's different color combinations for this stuff, but generally they have white in them, and these are like the Felidar... Felidar Retreat? Yeah, these are like Felidar Retreat decks. 
And I've seen also a lot of what's the festival card? It's not Storm Crash the, the festival. festival. Storm the festival. Yeah, and I've also seen like a lot of Storm the festival. And so these are. If you believe that the format is just getting stuff on board and bashing them into each other, then this is where you go for that. It's like a lot of prosperous innkeepers and then gaining a bunch of life off of all the dorks that are coming into play and use that treasure to get ahead. And then uh, just creating gigantic, unstoppable boards. But obviously these decks are, you know, once the main deck disdainful strokes come out to play, they're there that's not you don't want to be a deck full of so many fours and fives that you want to cast storm the festival yeah storm the festival is a card that kind of looks bad on its face it's three gg look at the top five put two things that cost five or less into play uh five is not a lot of cards to look at it's not i've seen this card miss a lot (laughs) yeah it's I've seen the the Brian Gottlieb screenshots of multiple five land hits, and you just mm-hmm. put two lands into play, and it's like, well, that was uh, disappointing. But the thing is, this card's not that bad in the decks that play it, even when it whiffs, because mm-hmm. it's kind of just the last card you play. Like, you right. always play out your other fours or fives first, and then you use this to close the door. And even if you whiff, only get one real permanent or two lands sometimes, those decks use mana really well. So it's not Mm -hmm. the end of the world. Though, I do think Storm the Festival, people are going way too hard on the card. Like, they just want to cast it as soon as they can, and it's often just wrong. Yeah, I I keep seeing people cast it when they could have just cast two good spells instead. And I I mean, I think the thing that is redeeming that card is that currently the decks that are casting it are completely capable of flashing it back. And kind of, like, the harder you whiff on the first cast, the sooner you get to cast the flashback part of it, which is kind of nice. And it's also one of the few graveyard-relevant cards you can play in your, like, mid-rangey, green, white, you know, green-red deck that that red and seven can just mill into your graveyard. And so there there is... There are games where it is good. There are games where it's just, like, a fantastic plan. I... To me, this feels like an early format. Like an artifact of the early format. And as things develop and decks get a little more efficient and refined and people start like splashing blue in their decks for counter magic and stuff like that, then it it becomes less and less good to just go as big as possible. Yeah, it seems more like a sideboard card to me in the long term, like Mm -hmm. a card you it's really, really specific instances where I see this card, not like I'm playing a mid range deck, this card gives me cards so i'll throw it in there kind of deal yeah and that that's kind of just how people are treating it right now one of the like big disaster things with it as well is like red and seven is your best hit with it if they deal with your tree folk but don't kill your red and seven because they're not super concerned about it right then and then pass the turn to you like what do you hit you're hitting another red and se- you're like replacing your red and seven with a red and seven honestly you're just kind of putting hoping you hit a seeker's chariot or playing yeah. out your other cards which is kind of the the weird part about it like it, you can't hit that much of an seven to play right which is why i like it better when you have felidar retreat mm-hmm. going on like in your deck that's just another good hit for it and it makes hitting more lands fine uh and i've also like 
Storm of the Vestal has looked more impressive to me in decks that have Rock Coil Creeper because it makes it a little easier to hit that flashback. And I've even seen the Rock Coil Creeper get sacrificed to bring back Crash the Festival and then you cast it twice. So I have not seen that, but it's sounds... Storm the Festival, I mean. Yeah, it sounds like uh how many how many copies of that card do you actually need to cast before the game's over? <laughs> Well, so this format does get very board stally yeah. at times. If you're because a bunch of these decks, all they are is putting huge amounts of power and toughness on the board, and, and like non-evasive power and toughness. And tree right. folks don't fly. No, but they do have reach. So even if they, somebody has flyers, they sometimes stop that. That's one of the reasons why, I, like I kind of listed out pillars of the format, and it's some obvious stuff like Ren and Seven and Azika's uh, Chariot. But I also just have. Uh, elite spellbinder in there because i think elite spellbinder is one of the best cards in the format and one of the best ways to address these things happening so i think mono white is actually a really really good deck (laughs) just because everyone's trying to board race each other with these like mid-rangey cards and the mono white cards are still just really good i saw baker get i think he's like 20 and oh he's got four trophies right now with uh-huh. just straight mono white, just Clarion Spirit kind of deal. Yeah, I think Clarion Spirit is... Uh, I, I have that listed as like one of the things I really want to explore. I think Clarion Spirit is potentially really, really good. Someone got 7th in the challenge with a white-black aggro deck that's playing just like Luminarch Aspirant, Tainted Adversary, Bru- for Brutal That's the other thing. Brutal is really good at just coming down and closing door on mid-range decks if you're playing white deck. Well, and also, unlike... Skyclave Apparition, it deals with a Tree Folk token. Yes, which is pretty good. No, something we did not mention at the uh, the set review. Yeah, but it's really important. Yeah, this particular... <laughs> yeah, the seventh black. place deck is a little a little weird. I also saw it's... a sweet one that was listed as a Zorius control on Goldfish, mm-hmm. but it's actually just mono white control with four Book of Exalted Deeds, four Healing Potion, four Portable Hole, and just like a bunch of stuff uh i don't uh, know about that one but it does it does use sigardus splendor the one-sided howling mine really really well and they went five one in the swiss so that this deck seventh sixth place in the saturday challenge is is pretty cool i don't know if it's got staying power but it is sweet it is and this deck really does lean into the making angels with the book of exalted deeds too so it's yeah. like actually a card there's like a lot of medium cards that gain you three life in this deck you got revitalize leaning the pack here healing potion just more revitalizes wandering archaic give explore the vastlands gives three perfect okay. potion of healing is just revitalized for an extra mana well it puts an artifact on a battlefield so that um mm-hmm. uh yeah it does that we're not a Yorian deck. We can't we can't redraw that card. <laughs> well, Yorian ban- is uh, rotated. I know, but we're not a Yorian deck. Uh, I did see a blue-white version of this deck when I was watching Hoagland's uh, tournament stream, and that looked kind of hot, too. It was playing better cards, and it was playing, <laughs> like, uh, the timely reinforcements as one of its ways to gain life in the main deck, which I'm a little bit surprised this deck just is not playing at all because it's like pretty easy to get yourself some life gain off of that thing yeah i don't i don't i don't know if i want to explore the mini book of exalted deeds book decks. Of exalted deeds decks out there like it's <laughs> it's a cute one of especially the combo face is pretty good 
but uh, I'm not really into it. It can't ever yeah. be, be but so good because of just the inherent bad, terrible cards you have to play. And as soon as it catches yes. on, people just throw a field of ruin in their deck. Yes, yeah. Which is good because it would be terrible if this format were defined by this combo that just makes it impossible to lose the game Yeah. on Arena that doesn't really have timers and stuff. And so. to force you to play Mono White to do it would just be, oof. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the blue-white player was... The, like their mana base was functional and their deck was in my opinion better much better than this sure, deck. sure yeah but yeah like all of these types of things you know they are a an attempt to figure out other approaches to the format than the one that we know is good which is green spells on the board and so <laughs> i i don't think that that is going to define the meta like completely you know it's not going to be a majority of the meta for the entirety of this the standard it's just the easiest thing to figure out it is proactive and it's tough to respond to it immediately but there's definitely ways to address it like i think that playing main deck burning hands makes a lot of sense right now and because it kills like a ton of the most important stuff in the format and even when you're not playing as a green deck there's a lot of little dorky creatures running around that you do want to spend two mana to kill yeah it's good so, it's not amazing it's aggressive decks you'd rather play with fire but it is not dead which is important yeah creatures are pretty small right now so you're you're pretty happy you're fine with it most of the time you know yeah if you play against like one of these mono white aggro decks you get a clarion spirit with it or something like that you get their and... luminar gas because that card is messed up yeah <laughs> <laughs> yep uh, so let's see some of the other stuff that people have been doing. The deck that won the Sunday challenge here is a black red, like very mid rangey deck, uh, using Kalane as its prosperous innkeeper. It, it's funny, like this is just a thing because the fours and the fives are so good in standard right now, and you are totally fine just trying to get them out early. And uh, this is like. I don't even know exactly what to think of this deck. It's, like, pretty aggressive. I guess it's got a ton of haste in it between Bloodthirsty Adversary, Reckless Reckless Stormseeker, and Goldspan Dragon. And then you kind of finish them off with Immerstorm Predator. But then it just has, like, 14 removal spells in it. Not burn spells that can go to the face. This is Blood Chief's Thirst, Dragon's Fire, Infernal Grasp, Shatter Skull Smashing, Soul Shatter. And there are a couple of Play With Fires. But, like... You know, it's a pretty aggressive deck with a bunch of terminates in it, basically. Yeah, my my read on this deck is actually kind of negative. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's more of a like a metagame call than anything than yeah. a, than a real stare because this top eight is literally six green mid range decks, uh, well, one white aggro player, and then this red black removal pile, mm-hmm. and so it's <laughs> winning the tournament means that the match after going five and two in the swiss so squeaking into top eight uh leads me to believe that it's pretty good against the mid-range decks but has a lot of holes yeah i think that this is very specifically built to deal with the renin six type decks and also certainly successful against there's a couple of mono green aggro decks in this top eight too that it i'm sure just walked all over because it's all removal spells and hefty creatures and then once you hit five mana and you're casting Goldspan Dragons and Bloodthirsty Adversaries, there's not much they can do about it. 
Uh, and in particular, just like a lot of the stuff lines up really well against Ren and Six, just in that you have bodies on the board and you have a lot of ways to kill the the Treefolk token. So it's hard to... Ren and Six is not a good card when you're behind. It's it's a, you know, it's a big hold your breath moment. There's there's a lot of ways to take it out. Yeah, Ren and Seven only gets really good when you're untapping with it for the first time. Yeah. You're like, okay, everything survived. My tree folk's still here. Gonna plus now. To hope to dump a flashback card in my graveyard to grab some more lands or whatever. Doesn't matter. Getting up to another tree folk. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I do really like out of this black red deck, though, is Immerstrom Predator. I think that card is really, really good right now. Just like nobody can really deal with it. The big flyer like breaks up the board stalls. Removal spells don't work on it. And it's also you know, a little bit of graveyard hate, too, just incidentally. Every time I've seen it, the whole game has been about it. So might be a thing to look into a little bit. Yeah, that's neat. I haven't seen any black-red Immersion Predator-type strategies in my mm -hmm. view of the format thus far. Yeah, I. so one place that I, th that I think you could go with it, there is like this sacrifice core that keeps getting ported from deck to deck, which is kind of surprising because usually... You know, you have your sacrifice decks and then none of those cards are good anywhere else. But right now there's sort of this like eye twitch, shambling ghasts, lolf, uh, and like deadly dispute package that just goes into versions of the mid-range deck. So I've seen this in like green black, I've seen this in black white, where it's just like, okay, this is your early game, and then you attach a late game to it. And it gives you some treasures that help you get up in mana. And some people have even been playing the uh, AFR, the 1-4 that comes with a treasure and lets you sacrifice treasures and creatures to... Skullport Merchant to draw cards. Skullport Merchant, yeah. I have my doubts that <laughs> Skullport Merchant continues to be playable in standard long term. Yeah, it seems like the first card in a deck you cut once it gets more refined. Yeah. But it's it's neat. I like Lolf in these kinds of decks, especially because they're usually slower. Their end game is like blood on the snow, which is mm -hmm. a sweet end game because you can kill stuff and then get back a Lolf or something. Yeah. Because your creatures all suck. That Everything I've seen in these sacrifice decks, all the creatures are terrible. You just would with Planeswalkers, like Lolf or the Liliana Planeswalker in Strixhaven, Professor Onyx, which is a kind of slow way to win. But if you're mm -hmm. d deadly disputing and doing lesson learned hunt for specimens is that what that card is called yes yeah that you you do actually rack up quite a bit of damage with her yeah that's true uh but she is six mana yeah uh, the the version of like this kind of like a little bit more reactive mid-rangey deck with the treasure sub theme the version that i like the most i think is green black and yes, with then, binding the old gods yeah because i think binding is quite strong and, and then you can be getting back red and sevens with your blood on the snows. And that had looked really good. Yeah, there's two good kind of ramp decks, I would say, that I've seen. Mm -hmm. The green-black one and the Selesnia-based one. Like, either Selesnia or Bant. Mm -hmm. uh, the green-black one gets Binding the Old God, which I think is a really, really good card. Because it cleanly deals with all the best cards in the format that are green. Like, a, it doesn't. Yeah. I guess it doesn't cleanly deal with a Seekers Chariot or a Rin. Uh, but usually killing the tree folk and having some boards presence lets you kill Rin. Right. And killing a Seekers Chariot is actually 
few and far between. What killing the chariot's the big deal because you can actually deal with the cats pretty easily. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and there's definitely like a big difference between the Selesnya ramp version and the Golgari ramp version. Oh yeah, they're they're really like, different. Golgari's more I'm gonna control the board and get there yeah. eventually and have a late game. The Selesnya actually ramp deck is like Lotus of- Cobra. Um, yeah, the the Selesnya deck is loading up the board. The green black deck is trying to like control it and kind of empty it out and and cast blood on the snow and stuff. Yeah, Selesnya is. I've seen a bunch of different versions. There's like Lotus Cobra, Marasa Root Grazer. Is that the green white uncommon mm-hmm. from the yeah, Battle for Zendikar? And yeah. Then like Feller Retreat End Game plus Storm the Festival. Yeah. To just like make your ramp cards into actual win conditions, which is a neat way to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes they're banned for the Recoil Creeper. Is that the name of that card? Did I get it right? Yeah. Finally. Yeah. Okay. I've said it enough times this podcast that I finally know the name of the card. <laughs> and then you get to sideboard Disdainful Stroke too. Yeah. And, and, all, and all Runs Epiphany. And All Runs Yeah. You can play All Runs Epiphany. Tough to play All Runs Epiphany and Storm the Festival. So you got to make a decision there. So the decision I've seen is that All Runs Epiphany is usually just better than yeah. Storm the Festival. I think it's so, a way stronger magic card. Yeah, I've seen like one Storm the Festival for value and then just All Runs Epiphany because it's just insane. Mm-hmm. Like All Runs Epiphany fell at our retreat is pretty much game by itself. Yes. Yeah, that's pretty gross. Put encounters onto your birds mm-hmm. and just killing them in the air because like evasion can be, you know, you, you can have two full boards and the only thing that matters is the couple of flyers like the elite spellbinder and the bird tokens over on one person's board and you know then there's just like 30 power and toughness on the ground facing off against each other unable to do anything and the neat thing about the uh, Celestia decks is they typically play brutal cathars to deal with the tree folk mm-hmm. and so we're going to see a lot of that specific tools developing renin seven is a super powerful card but there are tools that people are already bringing that are specifically good against it and we're just going to keep seeing that so i i have my doubts that like Azika's Chariot Red and Seven is just going to be the only good thing in the format. There's, It's a four mana spell and a five mana spell. Like, we're smart. We can deal with this. If those are the best things in the format, then, I mean, wow. What have we done? We're just not trying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, th- these cards are not Bloodbraid Elf, Jace the Mind Sculptor, the Luris kind of deals. Come right. So let's see. So some stuff that I am interested in exploring... So I really want to figure out like the green black deck because I do think that a binding blood on the snow version like you answering a board is way better than hoping that you're the biggest the biggest board around. Board. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's where the storm the festival the concept comes from. You're just yep. like trying to outboard them with that card and you know it doesn't pan out some of the time and you're like well oh well guess this was the best I got but it's not really you just have to yeah you can stretch harder you know <laughs> actually uh so weirdly enough one thing that has impressed me is liesa like the baneslayer angel thing yes because okay. she's just a, a big flyer that the removal spells don't line up particularly well against like a lot of people's big removal is burning hands that doesn't kill her or power would and, kill <laughs> yeah, well <laughs> i don't think people are running much power word kill there's a lot more of the new Infernal Grass. The one, yeah, yeah, Infernal Grass, the one that makes you lose two life. But she lines up well because she blocks a chariot. She easily kills a red and six as long as you can kill the, to- the token because she has flying. And then 
she kills them over the course of the game while getting you life. And if you have to chump block with actual with your actual creatures, you get them back. And that actually like matters in these entirely board stalled things where a lot of people just have like four removal spells in their sideboard and that's it. I've seen people play for Furha's Retribution, the saga that makes an angel and then your mm-hmm. angels are terminates until end of turn. Like yes. I've just seen that in otherwise kind of mono white decks, just as like extra reach. And I wonder if you could do that with Liesa, because that card's really good with Liesa. Like having the ability to have two terminates or double strike. Yeah, that's true. I wonder I feel like we should be seeing more Maul of the Skyclaves, given how good evasion has seemed to me. That's fair. For some reason, I just, I just shortcut Embercleave and Maul of the Skyclaves to being in the same set, but no, that can't that, be the case. That card's got the word Skyclave in yeah. it. Yeah, it's well, I mean, many. it feels like all the cards in 2020 had the word Skyclave in it, so there's just no way for me to know which ones are still legal. Like, okay, so, like, this deck that is splashing black for four Tainted Adversary, four Silver Cool Command, four Fierge's Retribution, like... Silver Cool Command is not good, by the way. Right, can we not just play a bunch of mall of the skyclaves and then some other random white cards and not play bl- black like yeah facial savings very good uh, though i do think tainted adversary is actually kind of worth the splash like that card is very strong when games go awry yeah i just feel like we could do better with some flyers I, yeah i don't think i think the the reason to splash black in that particular deck is not the fear's retribution or silver quote commands it's actually the tainted adversaries and mm-hmm. they just threw in some gold cards because they had to, I guess. I guess. Well, and then the sideboard is all black cards. Okay, fair. But, I mean, those aren't in the main deck, so. Yeah, but, I mean, it does kind of make Like, the, the black cards are good sideboard cards. Anyway, what we're talking mm-hmm. about, the, the green-black pile? Yeah, I mean, so that's just one thing that I do want to explore and try to get right. Another thing that I want to look into is what is the best Clarion Spirit deck? And in particular, I really like Clarion Spirit and Paladin Class together. Uh, It's just really nice that Paladin Class is an anthem that can also be your second spell on a turn. And then you can level it up in your own time. And that level three on Paladin Class is really, really good. Mm -hmm. The double strike and attacker. Oh, wait, I'm thinking of the wrong one. I think I'm thinking of Cleric Class. Because that's the one that gets back a creature, right? Paladin Class pumps up a creature to be huge and gives it double strike okay yeah yeah i knew the first two modes of paladin class the third level just escaped me uh so and i don't know what's the best way to build a clarion spirit deck you could be red for showdown of the scalds which is a great card and has had success with clarion spirit before or you could be black and then you can get village rights and a card that i actually really want to try playing in standard which is right of oblivion which talked about in draft but exile a permanent is really good in the standard you get tainted adversary as well which also gives you more fodder and and stuff to do late game yeah yeah that could be good tainted adversary with paladin classes is really good like if you ever get to that stage of the game it's basically two cards late game you can just draw them and you'll win right yeah i mean double strike on a death toucher is just completely unblockable and yeah, you could win through a lot of pretty clogged up boards with that. Mm-hmm. I could be into that. He even gives himself more attackers to help pump it with Paladin class. Right, right, right. It is a nice little like self-contained engine kind of thing. Yeah, it's yeah, just I'd like be... Paladin class is just a good card. Tainted Adversary is just a fine card, right? But mm-hmm. if you're in this, you know, 
board stall situation and you already have a paladin class in play you can just draw a tainted adversary at any time and have it be extremely good and that's right. the kind of draw to a deck that i would like yeah and uh paladin class also just can be good on its own because if you have a man land left now that man land just is has double strike and plus some like is big and just kills them actually makes cave of the frost dragon like pretty defensible because flying is the ability you want the most with getting pumped with paladin class mm -hmm. and you trade with tree folk too if they still have one like force yep. trading your land for tree folk not the worst right right i guess one of the open questions in this format is if you would rather be like green red werewolf type aggro or the mono green aggro deck which more easily casts werewolf pack leader on turn two kind of has no mana problems you get old growth troll but you do get you do end up playing some kind of medium cards in there like jespera sentinel actually isn't that good in this deck because you're not combining it with anything to like do a particular task uh primal adversary is really just a filler card here and so you're 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 a little bit short but you do get a really nice mana base and you get four faceless havens as your payoff there. And Blizzard Brawl is fine, very efficient. I I think this is a slam dunk red grain for me. Mm -hmm. uh, that's mostly, actually mostly to the sideboard. Yeah, because you get burning hands. Yeah, having access to a whole other color gives you way more options in just terms of how you want to build your deck and sideboard and plans mm -hmm. for the whole like metagame spread. Whereas you're significantly limited in that when you're only playing one color, which is why I hate on Eldra Zetron so much, playing zero yeah. colors. <laughs> one color is the zero colors of standard. Well, one color does have a huge advantage in that mm -hmm. the mana base is really, really good. I think that's the, the main draw to the deck is that you have an yep. unimpeachable mana base. So if you, you know, draw your slow lands too early or alongside too many of the uh, creature lands... And you get frustrated, switch to monogreen for some games, so that just won't happen. I think that's, you know, that's fine. But I personally would rather be on the side of having access to, like, Magda or Keswick Naturalist or, or like, whatever shell mm -hmm. I can play. Whereas monogreen is all scripted. Like, it's always going to be the same cards because there's only so many good green cards in standard. Right. You don't get to adapt it. The only adaptation that I could see getting made here is deciding to go bigger and put red and seven into the monogreen yeah. deck. And that's something you can choose to do as well in the red-green deck. Like, you don't have to be so limited. Right, exactly. Yeah, I, I think, in particular, just having the sideboard removal spells is too important to me. Burning Hands, in particular, is just really, really good. And, you know, we see, like, completely running out of options here. Like, this mono-green deck has two unnatural growth in the sideboard, which is the one GGGG enchantment that doubles the size of your creatures each combat. Wow, just for I, that combat it doesn't like yeah, it's not yeah. permanent or anything i didn't see that card in any of these lists but that is that is wild <laughs> yeah like what do you act what do you sideboard that in against like come on well it's when you like want to flex on your opponent or you're just so dead and you you gotta have a hail mary in there somewhere like i it it's probably for the decks that are like really going big on the board so that you can try to compete that's, with them that's power not and good enough. Wise, that's just but... not good enough right right and i'm really uninterested in bringing in like big artifacts and enchantments when my opponent's already like kind of interested in bringing in disenchants against me because of a seeker's chariot 
Although in standard, I guess the shatters and the demystifies do diverge a little bit. So there, there's not there's some pretty good shatters in the set though. Like if you want to sideboard shatter, mm-hmm. there's the AFR one that's like a modal spell shatter or like the top three cards of your opponent's deck. You can pick right. one of them and play it. And there's also the one from this set that's like a single mana. I have to find it, but I I remember looking at it when uh to raise the oh it's the one. Right, it's a combat, it's an attacking creature pump, yeah, or it's, it's a shatter. It's just a single mana, so it's a smelt instead of a shatter. Just yeah. an artifact, or you can give an attacking creature plus two, plus two. I, it's only a sideboard card, so the first mode is really what you're going to be using it for, but having it out, like, if they don't have an artifact, is good. That is the card that convinced me to never play the four mana, three, four, uh, scarecrow in this limited format because i cast it and then my opponent just killed it with their like <laughs> combat marginal trick. combat trick <laughs> so i'm just never going to run that card ever again pretty much oh the scarecrow that's another card that gets a uh, a card from the graveyard yes it does but unfortunately i think it is pretty unplayable three four is just not really big enough the you're like disincentivized from splashing a little bit because it just like doesn't feel necessary most of the time. So the mana filtering isn't great on it and it's not big enough and it dies to a one mana shatter that <laughs> like should have been bad against you, but then it's great. Oh, it was going to be like kind of a bad combat trick, but I guess I'll just kill your four drop for one mana <laughs> for one mana. Yeah. Um, I am kind of into this just like all in mono red, mono black midrange deck that just is kind of that sacrifice package, but just like every one of the things that you could put into that package. And so it's I Twitch, Shamligas, Skullport Merchant, Four Lolfs, Meat Hook Massacres, Deadly Disputes, Hunt Specimens. Like the whole deck is just like this like treasure sacrifice theme. And then you're monocolored, so your blood on the snows are really, really good. I, I'm kind of into it, but you are a little bit limited in just like what you can put into your deck because you're one color, and you're not necessarily that efficient. And like eye twitches and shambling gasts aren't always going to be good at blocking what your opponent's putting into play. I'm I'm just looking through deck lists, and I found a deck in the sunday challenge called is it mill intrigued i opened it up <laughs> you know just forgetting that mdg goldfish is absolutely horrific at naming decks yes uh, this is a poppet stitcher goldspan dragon deck uh, as uh-huh. far as i can tell the only mill card is consider okay <laughs> which so not a mill deck then no it's it's literally just a a, a spells deck <laughs> just a spells deck yeah um, I think that's a place that you can go. You need to be very certain of what decks you are planning to play against and understand your plans against those decks and what your targeted like interaction should be for them. And if that takes you to main decking a bunch of burning hands or whatever, but you have to be pretty smart about what you're doing. You have to be pretty picky about the cards you're putting into your deck here. Burn down the house is very good if you're trying mm-hmm. to just be blue-red. Because it does do a good job of cleaning up the board. It's scary against Tree Folk, but hopefully you came to a, a game plan against the Tree Folk. Yeah, I mean, 
it is fine as long as things kind of went according to plan. But in any scrappy game where they're just like, all right, I pushed through this red in seven. I have eight lands in play. It's just like, well, this isn't good enough at all. Heaven forbid, just cast during the festival on turn five and put it into play land red in six because they didn't hit perfect and then just make a six six. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, oh, oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. That's why you got to have the disdainful strokes. Just really, really important. Can't overstate how good disdainful stroke is right now. Very good. Um, The whole format is not only about getting on board, but a lot of the stuff, except for the tree folk token from Renin 7, is like really bad at defending you from the opponent's board. You just like need to have it so that, you know, their incidental cats don't kill you and stuff like that. But like the first Goldspan Dragon is way better than the defensive Goldspan Dragon. Once Goldspan Dragon is in play, like your opponent's Asika's Chariot is just a meaningless card in their hand. They can never cast that. Like, they'll just keep getting Goldspan Dragon to death. They have to do something about your dragon first. Uh, they can play their red and seven to hopefully make a Tree Folk to block. But, boy, if you have a Bounce Spell for that Tree Folk or a Burning Hands for the Tree Folk... Or Disdainful then... Stroke for the yeah, or, seven. Or if you just have the Disdainful Stroke because your Goldspan Dragon refunds you two mana, then, like, the game kind of just ends. So the plays when you're behind are often a little bit bad when the decks are just full of these getting on board things. It's it's kind of just a weird quirk of the format that is kind of interesting. What do you I see your note in the the document here. Curse of Silence has some explication. Have you seen this card we played? Yeah, actually, Zan is in love with it, which is like uh, part of it, but so it's not good as a targeted hate card towards anything, but I think it gives non-blue decks a really manageable way of fighting against reactive decks that are trying to use efficient stuff to counter their spells and things like that. If you bring it in and you know that they are a sought coming deck or you know that they're heavy on disdainful strokes and you name one of those, then it makes them really makes it really really hard for those them to convert those cards in their hand. And that can be the way that you push your four and five mana spells through. So it has some application there kind of specifically. Just It's just enough to make me admit that like, okay, I probably shouldn't have completely just made fun of this card. Like I can understand possible applications for it now. Uh, I'm still kind of a little skeptical. I haven't seen yeah, it I mean, play if you, yet. If you like guess wrong or they're playing a mix and it's like a different mix than what you have seen before or something, then it, yeah, it can be really, really terrible. But if you elite spellbinder them and know, yeah, you know, I mean, one mana cards are have a pretty low floor, so yeah, like you're not spending that much, right? Let's see what other stuff have we come up with. Oh yeah, and, and another thing that I want to explore is I want to try to get a smoldering egg deck. Like I think egg is really good. You have to use one of your premium removal spells on the O four part of it because most of the cards that people are playing don't really just kill this o4 yeah no one's playing blood chief's thirst <laughs> right right you don't get these like free cheap little things that that just get it incidentally it's like toughness based stuff or you're casting a full-on infernal grasp on it so the the o4 is okay and at least it like when you deal with the asika's chariot it blocks one of the cats until it flips so it like has application on board and is extremely threatening 
you do kind of want to flip it with a big, like, one big thing. Flipping it by casting All Runs Epiphany is, like, the ideal. Or flipping it by casting, like, removal spells into Memory's Journey into... Now I can cast, like, two removal spells and they each give me two extra shocks attached. That what, That is really good. One of the things I like about Smoldering Egg in particular is that it's one of the few cards... It really wants you to play with the flashback cards because they're mm-hmm. mana efficient or yeah. mana spent efficient. I don't know. They they help your gold spend dragon along. And because of that, Consider is really good because mm-hmm. dumping Consider gets its value from dumping flashback cards in your graveyard and standard. True. Which is really good to cast cheap spells on the, the back side, the dragon side. Mm-hmm. You just turn Consider into a shock plus a cantrip. It'd be nice. I don't think the mana quite works. You see a lot of three color decks, including like wedge colored decks, but a lot of those decks have access to treasures mm-hmm. in one way or another. Jeskai, like Smoldering Egg, I'm not sure if it's doable, but Sacred Fire is a pretty good, actually a pretty good card. Uh, yeah. I've seen it do a lot of work. It, I called like that. it's just a workhorse. Yeah. It's not. It, it just fancy matches up against a lot of stuff and in particular ren and seven goes to two loyalty when you make a tree folk so executing the ren and seven and then just sort of like take a hit from the tree folk block chump block it once and that now you have enough resources where you can get it off the table is like a real thing yeah i, 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 I do think that just guy may have a little flimsy right now that's I think the, so too. the main thing i have seen people and this is not a thing that I think has legs, but it was surprisingly close. Just like white red mid range. <laughs> I saw this. Which too. is traditionally terrible. Like traditionally just a bad deck that you put together because it's like all oh, these cards are like good cards, but it just has no card selection, has no way of dealing with bigger threats or what like they cast like an Elder Gargaroth or whatever, and you just like, oh, I didn't think about that. Now I'm this, dead. This was my favorite effect of Treasure Map, by the way. Like mm-hmm. an Ixalan standard. Was everyone just playing non-blue, like mid-range decks. decks? Yeah. And yeah. just like, yeah, it'll work. I've got Treasure Map. It'll fit it all together. <laughs> it's a card draw advantage. It fixes my draws, and it gives me mana. Like, we're doing yep. it. But it just clearly could not compete with Search for Escanta. <laughs> Well, yeah, and the, like, totally solid counter magic in that format, too. <laughs> so this, like, is a, an attempt to just have, like, Sacred Fire and Showdown of the Scalds in the same deck, basically, which I'm sympathetic to. And, I like, it can do okay. Like, it has just kind of this never-ending stream of removal spells. As long as you hit Showdown of the Scalds, then it, like, manages to keep up. And Smoldering Egg is actually pretty good at in that deck or it's okay in that deck it's not as good as in the blue decks obviously it does not work it's only instance of sorcery right so it doesn't work with scald right right oh that's rough yeah it is too bad their big card drawing spell they cost four mana doesn't but your sacred fire flashback takes (laughs) put six counters on there yeah Yeah. Uh, but yeah i don't think that's a a true option going forward but it just relies way too heavily on a four mana card draw spell Yes, and also just your draw step being really kind to you a lot yeah. of times. Yeah. It, it just was surprising to me how close it was, given how traditionally terrible that type of deck is. <laughs> I, I think a lot of that is also just like red is really good right now. It has just great answers and solid card advantage stuff and 
Smoldering Egg, I think, is a completely reasonable threat to play. Yeah, I think we called Red Red as the big winner, even though Grand Seven is like the best card in the set. We thought mm-hmm. Red was clearly the big winner from rotation in general. There's just yeah. a bunch of good cards on format that are all red. Just yeah. another reason not to play Mono Green, by the way. Yes, you want access to those red cards. And one other card that has been seeing like more play than it ever did is what is it dragon's fire oh the uh the like three damage spell you can choose a dragon in your hand or in play and it deals that much damage to like its power yeah because it's like pretty easy to have gold span dragon and moonvale region in your deck and then this is just like a two mana four damage spell yeah I, i've i've seen it <laughs> in a bunch of deck lists uh, I've also seen it been misclicked a million times on MTG <laughs> Arena when there's just no dragon. It's just like, all right, click it, just deal zero damage with a smoldering egg, for instance. Like, oh jeez, because it's yeah. a it's a dragon on the front side. So, tar- use my fire. All right, I'd like to. Yeah, I've got a dragon in play. Give me the give me the kicker, but it's just zero damage. Oh god, yeah. Do not pay that additional cost with a smoldering egg. Good lord. That's a rough one to learn for sure. <laughs> well, you probably won't do it twice. Hopefully. Unless the interface is really bad. Well, the interface is not great. It just asks you if you want to use a dragon. Yeah. P- presuming that you would read the card or something. But that is far from a guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see the... I know there were a lot of... There's a good, a really good Twitter thread about um, Magic Arena bugs. Where just all the art was gone. All the abilities were stripped. People are choosing between like ability one four five six six and one four five six seven. Oh yeah, and the, <laughs> their hand is just a bunch of fibble thips. Yeah, and it's just MTG Arena asking, "Are you sure?" And the the quote tweeted that with, "I've never been less sure of anything in my life," because <laughs> every card is just missing art and text. <laughs> That's horrible. It was pretty funny though, but yeah, that obviously terrible. Well. Anything you are excited to try? I actually like the Felder Retreat Ramp decks a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Marasa Root Grazer. It seems like a kind of flash in the pan style where that that card is a little too on the weak side to be good going forward. But like in the moment, it's competing with what people are doing, and that's meat. Yeah, so I've I've actually been liking watching that deck a lot, uh, and hopefully there's a Bant or some. Uh, blue green slash whatever other color i actually really like fell retreat plus all runs epiphany that's mm-hmm. kind of the, the cool end game i like right now sure uh, and i think those decks are pretty unrefined like i saw i think it was mason clark posted a a version of that deck with teferi who slows the moon i think his name is <laughs> or slows the nope. sunset something like that yeah that's <laughs> he's got a bunch of moons in his art so it's it's a really good name, but uh, it's not a good card. Yeah, but he was playing that with a treasure vault, which is an artifact land. So you could like cobble together a hero of Dominaria plus by just untapping an artifact and untapping a land, uh, which was adorable, but seemed really bad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess if you go rock coil into this thing, into Teferi, and you've got your artifact land in your three color deck and yeah you're really doing it at that point yeah, yeah you're really doing it at that point. there's only one treasure vault so like just trying stuff out i can't fault him too much for that no no gotta try 
but that's why that's what kind of draws me to it it seems more like there's way more avenues for exploration than like just a red green deck with a rand seven and a secret share yet because like those cards are going to be good forever and everyone's going to play them they'll just figure out the best version way faster yeah. than i can so I might as well play something that's like tries to go big and it's pretty fun and has a lot of cards people just aren't considering at all and this teferi doesn't even dump cards in your graveyard with its minus two nope <laughs> i don't know why i had it in a draft deck and then I was just like, oh, I can just never cast this card. I just, like, get run over if I do. Faithless Mending is a white-blue card that dumps card in the graveyard in the set, but they couldn't give it to the Planeswalker. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Faithless Mending, I did see Aspiring Spike playing oh, Jeskai Phoenix, Phoenix yeah. in Modern. and it, Top 8 of the challenge, I believe. Yeah. And it it looked pretty reasonable. Definitely playing a different game plan from traditional is it phoenix you know he's running demi liches in no thing in the ice you don't have the nut draws tron is like an actively bad matchup instead of like a pretty close one you're playing this like grindy removal game plan with like a bunch of prismatic endings in the sideboard and stuff but for what it is you know it, it actually kind of works you you get your phoenixes back you don't have very many I'm attacking you for six on turn two nut draws, which was like the draw, like 10% of your win percentage with, with is a Phoenix. Yeah. Honestly. But you just was, attacked them for 13 on turn three. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just like had a lot of damage. Like the, the calculus of seven plus seven plus six equals 20 was like a really important part of that deck. Uh, and, and a really sizable portion of your win percentage, but that is not available anymore. But you know, Demi Lich looked pretty great in this Manamorphose. Did you see him play Scour deck? deck? Yeah. Okay. I I only saw the results and I did not see the gameplay of it. And it really, really surprised me when I saw the deck list. I'm like, wow, are we really doing Demi Lich? I really want to see this card in action. I, I mean it I think it is really format dependent, right? Like yes whether you want whether that's the secondary threat that you want in the matchups that he was playing he was playing these really grindy matchups and he kept you know actually even like put into play turn two demi liches at you know you need two manamorphoses to do that but sometimes you draw two manamorphoses or, or faithless salvaging in a manamorphose well but faithless salvaging oh, turn two yeah yeah sorry yeah, yeah. exactly yeah i i am not sold on the faithless on the faithless salvagings in that deck oh that, see i'm more sold on salvaging than i am on Danny lynch i think salvaging is perfectly reasonable if not exciting it's just a way to spend an entire turn i guess it i i'm not a not into casting faithless salvaging at least if it were sorcery it'd be completely garbage yes but for sure like an instant gives it a lot more leeway to me yeah it's just a lot of two mana spells it is like the the old ver and and obviously this is a different deck but you know the first thing we did after the first week of is it phoenix was like cut the oh, damn man. fiery tempers oh sorry all well yeah cut the fiery <laughs> tempers but also just all of these two mana spells gotta go you can't play is a charm you can't play chart of course you just gotta be one mana spells yeah there's just you know a lot of banned ones i just like i would rather play expressive iteration over other two mana 
you know, well, you, at, at that point, you like you can't play Arc Light Phoenix though. Like you just don't have enough enablers. I don't think that's true, right? Really? You only you, had in original Phoenix, you only had looting and thought scour. You just always got to. You just banked on getting to looting. But like you could, you could always get to looting because your thought scours and cantrips were so efficient, right? Can you always get to faithless mending? And well, what is I the don't other think it's any... Thought scour. Yeah, I don't think it's like like the cantrips surrounding the mending aren't different. It's just that it costs two mana where looting costs one. I, I don't I don't think that that is a big difference. Okay, I could see that. Then, but there's less incentive to play demi lich then, right? Because you don't have more free spells. That's yeah, maybe true. Maybe if you're playing demi lich, then you want salvaging that much more. But maybe it's worth it to do a different thing and. Cast Play, expressive like, iteration. Yeah, iter- iteration is so strong. So most I'm broken cards. Kind yeah. of on board for it. <laughs> like I cast the card in cube against uh, Jay the other week, and he's just like, "What is this card?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that card is pretty unreal. I will say though, just you know, to cover all the bases, like Spike really, really loves Demi Lich, and he thinks it's a really good card in modern, and like. It did look very good. Simon, excuse me. <laughs> it did look very good in all of the grindy games that he was playing. And, you know, there were just games where he'd like cast it several times in one like opponent had like mystical dispute and a removal <laughs> spell up and it killed it before you could attack with it. And then he like cast it from his graveyard and it got disputed and then he cast it from his graveyard again. And like, OK, well, not much else can do that. That's true. Yeah, it is. It is exceptionally good at grindy games. Yeah, I just. I mean, but so is expressive iteration and Phoenix naturally, right? So I wonder so, how much of that you actually need. Like, I, yeah. I acknowledge that Demi Lich is really good when it's doing its thing, but there's a lot of cards in modern, and probably is not the only thing that can accomplish a similar goal, right? Uh, and and the deck was impressive at you know you don't love having all of your threats be vulnerable to rest in peace, but being just guy meant that he had prismatic, prismatic endings yeah. and wear tears and he was pretty much just never getting because you you also can't trip a lot so you will find one of your five and, and kill the rest in so peace flexible that's why yeah. i think rest in pieces stock is pretty meh at the moment mm-hmm. prismatic ending just covers so much and every deck is splashing it pretty easily yeah like even dredge kind of wants to play white now anyway because of faithless spending. <laughs> Yeah, I I saw him play against Enchantress, but he just had access to so many disenchants at that's, post board. That's why Enchantress is bad. Everyone has so many free disenchants in their yeah. sideboard. Like you can't be playing this Lego castle build them up kind of gameplay. And then somebody suggested Patrician's Scorn, which oh, he got really boy. excited about as an answer to Enchantress because he. Uh, people seem to be playing a lot of it right now. <laughs> Don't you have to cast a white spell for that one? What is Patricia's yeah, Scorn? Yeah, but you have Faithless Mendings. Oh, that's right. But yeah, Patricia's Scorn is Destroy All Enchantments. You can cast this for free if you cast a white spell this turn. Oh, it hasn't been printed yet. It's only been pre-printed. Yeah, it's only feature shifted. But so maybe Phoenix is back. I will definitely give it a shot when it is time to play some modern. But for now, I'm pretty limited and standard to have their hooks in me at the moment so yeah that's 
Modern's always a great standby when standard gets stale, which it eventually will. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no rush to rush out and play Modern. Anything else you want to go over, standard or otherwise? Just Midnight Hunt related? <laughs> Only Midnight Hunt related? No, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I, I, if you want to do a question, someone asked us a question on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to talk about a little bit. I don't have much time because probably not going to yeah. go for the full subject. Ah, we can go for a couple of minutes. But oh, let me make sure I put this person's name down right because I would not want to do it wrong. Let me just search this real quick. It's Mutumbo Rumble. Mutumbo. Yeah, I did miss an N. Okay. So we had someone on Twitter ask uh, Chris Hoffman asked if we could do an episode titled how to draft in general even for dumb people like me that have been playing for 25 years (laughs) um probably like we've both drafted a lot yeah as Uh, far as a question goes all we can do is answer this like yeah i guess so (laughs) but (laughs) but like uh i kind of wanted to say my main tenet of just generally drafting is that i think a lot of people get caught up in doing poorly and i came across this recently because one of my friends started playing slay the spire for the first time and when people start playing that game i just let them do whatever their decisions are and i don't say anything mm-hmm. and then you know i see how they do it and the people the thing people always ask in slay the spire and in just regular drafts is what archetype should i be in like what are the cards that i need to do this archetype and that is just not a good question because you, when you're trying to draft an archetype, everyone kind of visions like the ideal platonic version of the archetype yeah. they're drafting, and they want all the cards for that, and it'll just like assemble as long as you're on plan, right? But that's not how packs work. You're not guaranteed to get even like a hallmark card you need for your archetype, even if you open like the first one. Yeah, it's way, 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 way more important to draft kind of moment to moment with a larger game plan mm-hmm. than starting with that larger game plan and just trying to draft it. Yeah. Because you can see as your deck is coming together what you need based on what you have as opposed to what you need based on what you don't have. Mm-hmm. Like so typically this is like curve is the easiest way to explain it. So if I'm drafting like a green deck or whatever, there's a lot of commons that are pretty expensive creatures. That are mostly filler, like fours and fives, and generally in formats. So I usually have an emphasis on taking lower drop creatures because those are more important for just generally playing the game. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to load up even on really good threes or fours because you just don't have the opportunity to clump up on that spot very much. Yeah, in a lot of formats. So you should draft towards like if I've got a bunch of three really good threes already. I'm going to try to go lower in the curve so that I don't, I can not stumble to get my threes. Even if four drops are just better in the archetype I'm in, for instance, like that's mm-hmm. not relevant if my deck will be better with the twos. Yeah. I mean, you're always drafting like, like that's the stereotypical thing to say is like, don't draft cards, draft decks, but it's also like, don't draft archetypes, draft your deck based on what you are putting together, what you have, what will make the cards that you have better if if i first picked like a rare powerful six mana card and then i got another powerful five or six mana card then the whole rest of my draft isn't necessarily like okay well here's a blue card here's a black card 
you know, I got a good blue six mana card, a good black six mana card. Now time to draft the blue black deck. Maybe my deck is supposed to be those colors, but support me eventually drawing one of those cards and killing my opponents with it. And then the rest of your deck like serves that by being low costed stuff, by being card filtering, that sort of thing, or whatever needs to feed those cards. But you have to draft your deck based on what you're getting, not like there are 10 decks in this format and you have to be in one of them. Yeah, you're you're supposed to basically draft your seat, like what cards you're getting in the range of what you can receive, plus like what you already have. Mm -hmm. You can't like theoretically draft the set in its entirety. The set's (laughs) not going to be laid out in front of you. You get to pick what you want. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, which is like, like I've watched LSV's stream and he's just like, yeah, all I'm doing is forcing blue black and it's really good and I'd never lose. And he drafted blue black like 15 drafts in a row or whatever. And then I sit down and I start drafting and there's just literally not a single playable black card in any of the packs that I see. So that's just not the, I can't do that. It's a different format. It's a different seat. I just don't have that option. And there's, you know, entire podcasts about Levid. So. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know how to do or how to direct somebody towards like a starter, like, listen, you've been drafting, it hasn't been working, let me, like, hit you with some fundamentals that aren't format-based. Because everybody likes to talk about the current yeah. format, and that's it, what everybody wants to hear about. Too. Yeah. Right. Like, I, it's more fun to talk about, here's the cards that are good in standard, than, like, here is what you do to understand standard the way that Brad Nelson understands standard. Like, that's really difficult. <laughs> it's really easy to get sideboard guides out. I'm expert at reading sideboard guides. <laughs> yep. But I I wouldn't mind doing a fundamentals of draft episode. It would I think the quality of that episode is going to be really dependent on our prep work leading yeah. up to it though. And it's also hard to do that without using a format as an example anyway. Yeah, but I think that a good thing to do would be to try to pick examples from as many different formats as possible so we're not like accidentally locked into one particular way of drafting yeah and also formats played very differently right yeah i mean cards have wildly different values between zendikar and rise of the eldrazi mm-hmm. two sets i've drafted some of the most of actually mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a really cool like thing that they did uh, with like setting them in the same place technically in the same block but the draft formats are just like completely disparate yeah yeah yeah. to just kind of cement in the this world has changed fundamentally kind of feeling to it they did a really similar thing in innistrad and avatar restored where Mm -hmm. innistrad was like extremely good and avatar was extremely bad (laughs) avatar's back and it all sucks and nobody's having fun the werewolves are all cured, but don't worry. We're going to write that out of the story when we go back to Innistrad for no real reason. Well, because we cannot have werewolves. <laughs> yeah, that, that was the reason, but like it didn't make any sense. It's actually uh, definitely maybe the biggest failing of this Innistrad set is that the werewolf decks in Limited are... I don't think they're as bad as a lot of people say. I think they're... People are kind of drafting them a little bit wrong, not optimizing for the right things, trying to draft them as pure aggro decks when actually the best things are four fives and four fours. And mm-hmm. you actually want to be a removal deck with four fives and four fours more than anything else. Uh, and that's what I've had the most success with werewolf wise. But werewolves are 
a medium to low tier deck in the werewolf set. And the really brutal thing is that there's just two werewolf hate cards in the werewolf set that are totally defensible, like good cards. So there's, you know how there's always like the throwaway artifact that like does some amount of damage to a creature, but like kind of costs too much mana. And so you never really put it in your deck. Like a Moonglove extract? Yeah, although that one was like lined up fine. but, But usually it's even worse than that. Like it's like one mana to cast and like four or five mana to sacrifice and does some amount of, and it's just like not efficient enough. Uh, in this set, it's one mana to cast, three mana to sacrifice. It deals three damage, so it's a totally fine card. But you don't get to outsize it with your werewolves because it just kills werewolves. Three damage. If it's a werewolf, destroy it instead. And then Olivia's Midnight Ambush is a secret werewolf hate card. It's one in a black. Give a creature minus two, minus two. If it's night, give it oh, minus yeah. 13, minus 13. So the werewolf deck wants it to be night, and then this just kills any werewolf. So there's just two common werewolf hate cards in the werewolf set that really, like, rub salt in the wound of, like, these werewolves are okay. <laughs> Luckily, one of those cards is black, one of the better colors, and the other is colorless, so every color. So everyone can play it, yes. Black is... I believe the best color because of because Olivia's Minute Ambush is really good and the Spark Harvest eat whatever eat alive one word, eat alive eaten alive yeah that card is really really powerful in this format yeah, especially since you get so many zombies for free and it exiles Spark Harvest was fine this one is just Spark Harvest easier Plus. to get meet the condition and it exiles this card's really good first pick it like be happy to first pick this card yeah that's that's all i've got for this question like it's a huge topic but yeah and then we tangent it off into nonsense anyways but it's gonna happen anyway (laughs) can't control it uh yeah i mean i wouldn't mind doing an episode at some point on limited fundamentals well we'll start a google doc we'll see what we come up with it'll be a project i do love limited and rarely can justify talking a lot about limited on the podcast so especially with no competitive limited whatsoever well there's no competitive anything whatsoever so it's true so nothing matters yeah just do what we want this is our whole this is our podcast for 2022 (laughs) when there's nothing going on 2023 is the real wait and see what happens kind of deal yeah hopefully i don't have anything else i'm good cool Well, thanks everybody so much for listening. We really, really appreciate your time. If you'd like to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. You can find us on social media. I am tweeting from at CCR underscore grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. I am at Lee McLeo. Thanks so much and have a great week. Bye.